God is so good, isn't he? It's great when he talks to us. It's fantastic. Nothing like it. Well, last week I um, just began to talk about, you know, recognizing the invitations that are around us. We looked from Luke chapter 4. And one of the things I said to you was that in any given week in our lives... There are people around each one of us that are inviting us into their lives. Inviting us. Sometimes it's a distressing call. Sometimes the invitation comes through a little word. Just through a little conversation that you have with people in your life. Sometimes the invitation comes through just a glance. Maybe across the office. It's an invite into somebody's life. And one of the things that you see when you read the Bible, when you see, when you read the Gospels, is this, is that Jesus went down the streets of his time and he saw people, countless thousands of people and individuals too, and all of these people that he met gave him an invitation into their lives. Sometimes the invitation was disguised under a huge problem, under an insurmountable issue. But the issue and the problem and the circumstance for Jesus was not an inconvenience to him. It was an invitation whereby he could unpack the blessing of God, the resources of heaven, the message of the kingdom, the healing, the deliverance, the setting free. People's issues and people's circumstances to Jesus were never an inconvenience. They were never an interruption to where he was going. In fact, when you read the Gospels, what you see time and time again is Jesus going one way and then suddenly somebody calling him or suddenly uh, stumbling over uh, somebody that's got a huge life problem and suddenly he stops suddenly he's involved suddenly his directions changed why because he never saw people as an inconvenience he never saw people as an interruption but he saw people as a precious invitation No matter what the issue was, no matter how detestable the life was, Jesus ran to save it. Jesus ran to help it. In fact, Jesus said, talking about his life's objective, he said this, I've not come for the healthy. I've not come for the well. I've come for the sick. I've come for the dejected. I've come for the lowly. I've come to seek and save that which is lost. When you look at the Gospels, when you watch Jesus, that's why I love to look at Jesus. I love to think about Jesus. I love to rehearse everything he did um, when, when he walked this, this world, when he walked down the highways and byways of life. I love to think about him because what you see is a perfect man in an imperfect world, a complete man in a broken world. And Jesus didn't ever use his strength as God in the flesh as a status symbol. He never ever, you know, Jesus was the only ever complete man that ever walked on the face of this earth. But he never used his strength as a status symbol. He never preyed upon weak people or dejected people or people with issues or or life problems. He never preyed on them and made, made them, you know, 
an object lesson for others. But Jesus saw people as precious, as valuable to God. Isn't that wonderful? Do you know when you just think about your own life, when I think about my life and where Jesus found me and how Jesus sent people to me to help me and to bring me from where I was. You see, Jesus could have looked at my life and he could have looked at your life as an inconvenience. He could have looked at you and I as an interruption. Maybe other people have looked at your life and labeled your life as an inconvenience as an interruption to their agenda. But oh, when you, when, you, when you think about Jesus, and that's what's so wonderful about Jesus. He will never be harsh with you. He will never, you know, contend with you. He will, he will never treat your life as an object. Jesus treats your life as precious to him. You were never and have never been, you, you've never been and you never will be. An inconvenience to him. Or an interruption to him. And as we look at this and as we consider this. Do you know we want to be like him don't we? I certainly do. I never ever want to see people around me. When they're inviting me in. When they're drawing me in. Whether it's through their need. Whether it's through their issues. Whether it's through you know problems and circumstances. Or just through general things in life. When they're inviting me in. I never want them to be an interruption to what I'm doing. I never want them to be an interference. You know sometimes we, we're all busy with life. There's lots of things for all of us that we, that we have to do some, some things are really good and we enjoy doing those things. And very often you can be going down through life and you can be busy and you can have your list of things that you want to achieve. But sometimes life can be so rigid and it's, everything's got to be done on the list. And then you'll, you'll, you know, you'll pass by somebody and they'll, they'll send out a distressing call to you. And that will be your invitation in. And at the moment of invitation, there will be, there will be that predator that says, listen, if you get involved here, you know that you've got to invest. You've got to invest heavily in time. You've got to invest heavily in life. This is not an invitation. This is an interruption. This is an inconvenient moment. But we've got to push those things aside and we've got to recognize the invitation that people are giving us. I was walking through, through town just this week. And um, again, you know, life is busy. We've all got things that we're going about doing. But suddenly I heard my name called from behind. Dio! This is in the middle of Newport, by the way. Dio! Dio! I turned round. And it was a young lad in his 20s called Daniel. And it's amazing, you know, when you get involved in people's lives, how those people, you know, may, may be there for a certain time and then suddenly, you know, through circumstances and life changes, they're, they're there no more. But, you know, as you, as you walk down through life, sometimes there are people that, that are there in your future again. And this young lad is one of them. I've seen him a number of times. And we used to have an outreach 
um, in Somerton, Tony Davis, myself, and others. And we used to go out to Somerton, and uh, we would just be talking to the youngsters out there. And before we knew it, we had 60 young people in here every Sunday night, and we had a program with those kids on a weekly basis. It was incredible. And do you know how it started? I'll tell you how it started. One Christmas, I started going around the doors, and I, I was knocking the doors, and, I, and the Holy Spirit told me to go to Asda's and buy 200 boxes of mince pies. This is before Jesus cares or anything. So I rock up at Asda, I get 200 boxes of mince pies, and I just stack them in the car, and off to, off to uh, Summerton I go, and I knock on the first door. I said, good, uh, good morning. I'm from the King's Church, and I would love to give you a box of mince pies for Christmas. Would that be okay? Do you know what? The sheer shock on people's face. Just the shock, the, the alarm, the, the stepping back. In, you can see it. It's like chucking a bucket of cold water over somebody because they just don't, they don't marry together Christianity and kindness. They've got this understanding of Christianity and church that is very rigid, that's very dark, that belongs somewhere in the Old Testament. But I turn up with 200 boxes of mince pies. By the end of it, all the mince pies are gone. Everybody was accepting them and receiving them. And I thought, you know what? This is better than any track that we've ever produced. I would often go up to Newport and hand the tracks out. They'd be screwed up, thrown on the floor countless times. But everybody enjoyed mince pies that Christmas. It's amazing. It's amazing. And uh, after that, we, we slowly got into the community. And uh, we, were, we, were, uh, we, we did a barbecue up there. And as a result of that, we had about 60 young lives in here for a good 18 months maybe. And that was a very special period where we could just, you know, just sow into them, tell them that they're great. Are they here today? No, no. But the time that we had them, we could invest blessing into them. If it was only, do you know what? You're precious, you're special. Pastor Ray would, you know, get up there and do the stuff and pull them up on the stage and get them to sing. And, you know, it would, they would love it. They love Pastor Ray right? And he'd get him in and he'd, they'd be doing the stuff. It was fantastic. And as a result, Daniel was one of those young lads. Maybe seven or eight years have gone by since I'd seen Daniel until this week. Dio! Dio! I turn around. It's Daniel! Daniel! What's happening? How are you doing, mate? I'm doing great, but, and he, he's, you know, he swears a bit. And um, his swearing, mind you, it's very good because he's, he's limited it to the four-letter swear words. Yeah, he's a good boy, very simple, you know. He's, right? He's swearing, he's going for it. I said, oh, it's good to see you, Daniel. I remember the first time that I took Daniel in the warehouse in Jesus Cares when we were out in Bailan Wern, that that. Spitty, yeah. We were out there, and I took him in. It was just me and him. I said, son, I said, come and have a look at this. I said, I want to show you what Jesus can do. I said, have a look at all this, mate. I pulled up, right, the doors, and he, he, literally for five minutes, he just swore. 
That's all he did. He walked around holding stuff, just running around, right? And, and he, was, he, was, he was running everywhere. And he was just swearing. That's what the abundance of God and the kindness of God can do to some people. That's what it's going to do to Newport as it hits Newport, as the light of the gospel, as the kindness of God, as the love of God pours down on this city, right? You've got to understand the only vocabulary that Newport know is not the vocabulary that we use here on a Sunday morning. It's the four-letter vocabulary, and they're going to be shouting it out in praise to God. Jesus isn't offended by any four-letter word when it's said in faith. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. And they'll learn along the way that, you know, they may change that vocabulary. But I'm telling you now, as the glory of God, as the love of God unpacks itself from you and from me, and as it becomes a tangible reality in people's lives, expect it, friends. I took Daniel into that warehouse. He's this, that, and the other, and all the rest of it. But I understood that the guy is pouring out from his heart a cry. It's a four-letter cry. It's a distressing cry. But he can't believe what his eyes is seeing. We're on the street there, walking down. I said, how's it going, Daniel? How's it going, mate? He said, well, it's going great. He said, I've got two kids now. And the missus, you got one of them, have you? Yeah, I got one of them as well, Daniel. She's fantastic. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic, he said. Got two kids, he said. But I said, look, how's your mum and dad? He said, oh, see, they know where to come. They know who to invite. You're the person that they're going to invite. Don't be surprised. Don't, don't wonder why. Don't say, oh, me, Oh my, what can I do with my life? No, Jesus lives inside of you. The aroma of Christ can't stop itself but get out of you. It's in your office. It's in your, in your house. It's in your neighborhood. It's pouring out of your eyes. When you don't realize it, you're speaking it. They're hearing it and they see it on you. There's no wonder why people are going to come up to you because your life is one big invitation. Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary and who are heavy laden. He lives in you. That same invitation pours out of you as you meet people on the highways and the byways of life. They are not going to see a Christ in a stained glass window anymore. They're going to see a Christ in you and me that speaks, that heals, that delivers, that has the answer to every predicament, that has the prayer, that connects them back to God. Took his hand. I said, mate, what's happening? He said, can you pray for my mother? I said, yeah, I can, Daniel. I'll pray for her right now, mate, as we walk down the street together. I said, what's the matter? He said, well, she had a heart attack twice this year. She's died twice. That's the reality, you see, that all of us know about. That's the reality that all of us face. Those are the invitations and the calls and the cries that are going to come to you and to me alike. And I'm telling you now... For me and my house, that is never going to be an interruption. That is never going to be an, uh, uh, 
an inconvenience to me. The guy's only asking for prayer. I said, Daniel, we'll do it now, son, as we walk down the street together. I put my arm around his shoulder. I said, Jesus, touch his mum, would you? Jesus, do what only you can do. Thank you for the doctors. Thank you for, for helping her. But Lord, give her long life, Jesus. Help her, please. And he smiles at me. Thanks, Di, he says. And our last, our last words as we parted were this. Daniel, I want to see you at Christmas. We got some great things happening in the church at Christmas. It's rocking down there, Di, is it still? I said, yes, it is, Daniel. 10.30 every Sunday morning. But get ready for Christmas, Daniel. So you never know. Daniel may be coming Christmas. You see, there's invitations all around us. There are invitations from your neighbors, from your work colleagues, from your friends, from your family, inviting you in. Now, again, it's a process. You know, you don't just suddenly get your Christian rubber stamp out, stamp it on their head, and off to heaven they go. It's a walk with people. It's a talk with people. It's an engaging constantly with people. But there are invitations. Yes, we can't respond to everyone. Some we have to leave to another. But those that, that, that are there and we know that we have to attend to those invitations, we must do that. Jesus, Jesus exemplifies this in an incredible, in an incredible way. We spoke from Luke chapter 4. And you know, basically Luke chapter 4, I just see it, I said it last week, is Jesus just flinging open the diary. He says, here we go, guys. This is the people group that I'm going to go to for the next three years. These are the people that, that are inviting me, that are calling me. They're not here today. They're not here in this church in Nazareth where I'm speaking to you from. But these are the people that I'm going to. And basically Jesus was saying through, this, through these words, through this prophecy of Isaiah, he was saying this. I'm going to be more out of the church than in it. I'm not just going to live an existence in church. I'm not, or, or what you would typically call religious service and, and within the four walls of this synagogue. I am going to be more out of here than in here. And I want to open your eyes to something wonderful. Jesus speaking, let's read it. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year, the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
Incredible words. An incredible moment in Jesus' life. Because when you look at what Jesus read and you think back to the person who spoke it initially, Isaiah the prophet, he'd spoken it many, many thousands of years before this particular day that Jesus stood up and declared it. Isaiah had spoken it thousands of years before. He'd looked down the corridor of time by the Spirit of God and he'd seen this people group. He'd seen the poverty. He'd seen the captivity. He'd seen the imprisonment of people. He'd seen the oppressed under the heel of another. And he'd looked and he'd seen. And it must have been so distressing for Isaiah the prophet to see that group of people held captive. In fact, it wasn't just a particular group. It was masses of people. And Isaiah had come face to face with the reality of the human need. And how depraved it was. And if he had only have seen that, what hope would there have been? What hope would there have been if Isaiah had only have seen the problems and the, the unscalable mountain of human need? What a terrible thing to see. This isn't a man just, you know, filling a book up with something, writing on page and writing on scroll as as a poet would or as an author would. Isaiah came face to face by the Spirit of God with a picture that was detestable and awful and it it was so grotesque. This is a man that spoke with a broken heart. Isaiah is known as a man that wept, that cried, that grieved. Why? Because God would often pull the curtain back for him to see exactly what was out there. Oh, if God pulled the curtain back for us to see Newport, our hearts would break. If God pulled the curtain back, To some of the actions of people and the behaviors of people and the words spoken to children to to destroy them and bruise them and and form their soul in a way that's not godly. If If our eyes were to see what really happens out there or in any other city across across the world, our hearts would truly break. I think in days. To come, we will see like the prophets have seen the reality of what is there before us. And what will happen when we see it? Our hearts will break, but there will be a resolve. There will be a connection with God like there's never been. And there will be a demand on the power and the anointing of the Spirit to get up and do something. To get up and change the chaos. To get up and bring the healing power and the hand of God into situations that are untouched. And Jesus wasn't just rolling off and rattling off a sermon that day. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And that's where half of the church ends. They get excited with the fact that the Spirit of the Lord's upon them. And that's all it ever is to them. The Spirit of the Lord being upon them. But after that, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because. Jesus was clear about his because. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. 
Good news. The glad tidings of the gospel. The kingdom is here. Now Jesus had just, he, you know, it's interesting. Jesus was born at the end of what, what theologians call the intertestamental period. Big word, big phrase. And that's the period. The intertestamental period is the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament ended with a man called Malachi. He was a prophet. And man, God gave him such a strong word. Malachi chapter 4. You read it. Opening verse. Now imagine you being a prophet. Imagine you being a preacher and God giving you a word like this. One day... The day is coming, it's going to be like a burning oven. And all of the straw and all of the wheat is going to be thrown into the oven. He was talking about people. And it's going to be consumed with fire and flame. And he goes down through his pronouncement of judgment. And the last word of Malachi's words to the people was the word curse. And all of the Old Testament was encapsulated in that one word, curse. And the earth was cursed and the people were cursed. And, and that 400-year period was a period of terrible darkness, where there was nobody proclaiming God's goodness, where there was nobody coming with a message of hope or glad tidings. And suddenly, Jesus gets up in his hometown after 400 years of darkness. The, the, the synagogue that he was in was shrouded and engrossed by that darkness. They were under curse. They were under harshness. They only understood God to be, uh, you know, this, this hard ruler, this hard, hard judge. Jesus stood up and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach glad tidings. Glad tidings, Jesus. What are you on about? We've been in 400 years of darkness. We don't believe that there's a God out there that loves us, that would care for us. The last words of Malachi was curse. We're waiting for the day to come that's going to be like a burning oven. Jesus stands up. And in Hebrews it says that he was anointed with the oil of gladness. The oil of joy above his fellow men. And he stood up with joy. He said, I've come to say it's all over. It's all finished. I have come to declare good news to people here and out there. And he lists, as we've read, the diary entries of people, group that he's going to. Do you know, it says they were all amazed by his gracious words. They said, whoa, this is, this is Joseph's son, the carpenter from Nazareth. We, look, listen to the gracious words. You can read it. Listen to the gracious words that are coming from his mouth. Do you know, gracious words will always appeal to people Gracious words will break through the darkness. Gracious words will break down the curse. Gracious words will change people's understanding and change people's minds about a hard, austere God. And he begins to tell them of the change that he is bringing about. 
And then suddenly he gives them a few little riddles and a few little parables. And the whole place is incensed. The whole place is angry. There's an uproar. Jesus is only preaching. I mean, this is five minutes into the message. Thank you, Jesus. I've managed to get past 20 this morning. Five minutes. I mean, you're talking. How long does it take to read that thing? Not long. He's five minutes into his sermon. They're saying, what gracious words are falling from his mouth. Suddenly, the whole place erupts. They go crazy. They grab hold of Jesus. They pull him out of the temple. And they want to drive him over a cliff and kill him. Why? Because he's brought an end to that intertestamental period. He's brought an end to the curse. He's brought an end to God being out there in heaven. And he's saying, today, this is fulfilled in your midst. I tell you, people don't mind God being back there in the past. They don't mind God being so far in front of the future. But when men and women stand up and say, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, we're going to do something about that cancer. Today, we're going to do something about that relational problem. Today, we're going to bring blessing when, when there's cursing. I tell you, when people stand up and say, today, I will believe the word of God in spite of circumstance, in spite of what other people are doing. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord today. When you say today, just like Jesus did, all hell will break loose. But let it break loose, I tell you now, because there's a power in the gospel that enables us to administer salvation. Today could be your day, just like it was for Jesus. It could be your day where you say, today, that word that has hung over my life, that I thought was out there, somewhere down the corridor of time, today, It's my day, and the Spirit applies it, unites it with heart faith, and suddenly you're into a new level of living. You're into a new dimension, and those things that were hard suddenly become easy. Telling you now, it's real. It's real stuff here that we're talking about. And Jesus, it says, just walks through them. It's always amazed me that. You know, they're trying to chuck him off a cliff and there's terrible unrest. They want to murder him. I mean, this is terrible. I mean, imagine, imagine Jesus going home and Mary and Joseph just prepared tea. Hey, Jesus, how did the first day go preaching? How'd it go, Jesus? We really want to know. Oh, we always knew, son, you love the scriptures. We always knew, son, you remember when you were a little boy when we lost you and you were there? You were there for three days confounding even the wisest of them. You're, you're born for this boy. You're, 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 you're going to be a televangelist in America and everything, Jesus. You're awesome. You're fantastic. What was it like on the first day, Jesus. Well, uh, mum, he was fantastic, actually. He had a Welsh accent. (laughs) It was great, mum. It was wonderful. What did they do? Did they, you know, did they all come out the front and want you to pray for them? Was there counseling and healing? Well, actually, it was a bit different to that, mum. When I said today, 
this is fulfilled in your midst. And I brought closure on a prophecy that was thousands of years old and said, the time's come, time's up, here we go, blessing all around, kingdom all around, healing all around, life all around, freedom all around, not in your local synagogue, but out there where everybody are, en masse, it's coming, it's going to be overwhelming. When I said that, mum, they grabbed me and tried to throw me off a cliff. How to win friends and influence people. Number one, tell the truth. Oh my God, don't do that. We would rather live without it. But he went on. To reach the poor. I want to... Gonna close in a minute. Yeah, we're gonna close. I'm getting like Pastor Ray now. I can't get past the introduction. <laughs> what a great dad he is, I tell you. Pastor Ray is in Stockholm today with uh, with Hillsong. Let's continue to pray for our pastor, Dad of this house. What a great man. Ah, getting like my dad now. But do you know? He said, I'm going to preach to the poor. We'll cover that today. I'm going to preach to the poor. Those that don't have any wealth. Those that are poor. Those that are needy. Those that that are under the heel. Those that have got no honor. And they're cowering before this God that seems so distant and so removed and so far away. I'm going to them. They hated Jesus for that. Do you know, I've learned this, and I'm sure you have too. I've met, I've met poor people who have got detached homes, rolling green lawns, executive cars in front of their double garages, Poverty is not necessarily about material things and the lack of them. You can, you can be a wealthy man and have nothing. In fact, I was chatting to my brother-in-law just this week, and I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning this, and he knows a very wealthy man. And one day he sat in his car with him, and he said, my friend, do you know this? I have more than everything you've got. Why? Because of Jesus is at the center. That's why. I remember driving home one night. It was the middle of winter. It was December, Christmas time. And I saw two feet under a car. It was about one o'clock in the morning. The snow on the ground. I thought, do you know what? I'm not a very bright spark. I'm not the brightest in the toolbox. But I know there shouldn't be two pairs of shoes under that car. I stopped my car, I got out, and I pulled a man from under the car. And he was just drunk and singing and rolling about, not a care in the world, like drunken people do. Having the time of his life, he was very cold, very, very cold. He'd been there for a while. I said, sir, come on, let's get you home. You see, it's an invitation. Invitation. Could it have been an inconvenience? Could it have been an interruption? Definitely. Could I have drove past and nobody ever known about it? Yeah. 
I needed to get home to bed, to sleep, just like he did. But there was somebody in me that wouldn't allow me to do that. And you've had that countless times, and you've responded to it. Because Christ is the difference. He's made the difference. Pulled him up, got him in the car. I said, where do you live, sir? Come on. And he mumbled out some stuff, and he pointed, and he was singing in the midst of giving me the directions and all of the stuff. And we pulled up outside a very expensive home, a detached home, rolling green lawns, a nice executive car outside, nice double garages. The guy was wealthy on the outside, but desperately, desperately poor on the inside. And I said to him, I said, sir, I said, do you know Jesus loves you? Do you know Jesus wants to come into your heart? And right there, me and him, he, he responded and prayed coherently and asked Christ into his heart. I haven't seen him since. I know where he lives. I know his nice house. I know, I know all of the things that he has, all of the things that people would look to and say, he's made it. But little did they know that his home was breaking apart. Little did they know that inside the, the inner world that nobody sees, that nobody is able to penetrate and go into, had broken apart. I said, sir, Jesus is the end of your search. Finally, I'll ask the musicians to come. See, sometimes we, we think the poor person is the person with the begging bowl that you see on holiday. You, see, you, you think the poor person is the person that, you know, is out there selling the big issue. And they, of course, they're, they're poor. And, of course, we want them to move from where they are and to enter into everything that Jesus has for them. Materially, Jesus wants us to be blessed. Materially, believe it. Believe it all. Definitely. Because we can use that to give to others. But there is a poverty that goes far beyond the material. An internal poverty that none of us can escape. That all of us have felt. I remember years ago, going up to Colwyn's. Colwyn will remember this. And I just had this funny like sensation. I am going to make Colwyn... And Anne, the biggest hamper they have ever had. Remember that, Carl? I just had this, like, you know, this strange desire. I'm going to load that thing. Well, it took two of us to lift it in the car. It was huge. It, it had everything in it. It had three, four of everything in it. It was packed full of food. I get it up to Colwyn. Colwyn's, and that was a funny sight, you know, having me on one corner and Colwyn and Anne on the other corner trying to lift this thing into their front room. And the first thing Colwyn said to me, Dave, we don't need this. We don't, we don't need this. I said, well, Carl, I said, you'll work out what to do with it. I've just brought it up here. I've just been obedient. And Carl's just wondering, all right, Dave, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll receive it. Well, it was just maybe a week later, Carl. See, what happened was Colin, Col, Colin, 
Colin, my friend Colin, <laughs> Colwyn, see, uh, I've got to tell you this, right? Summer calls Colwyn Mr. Colwyn. Mr. Colwyn heard a distressing invitation in his heart. He didn't hear it audibly from a person's mouth. He heard a cry. His spirit received and heard the cry of a call that invited him to go from his house to the end of his road to a detached house that had all of the trappings of success. And while Colwyn's mind was struggling and saying, but this man doesn't need this huge hamper. This man has his rolling lawns. This man has all of the external trappings of success. This man and everything that's written across this man's life doesn't need for me to knock on the door and present him with this huge hamper. But Carl obeyed the, 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 the voice and the burden of his spirit... And the invite that was coming from that house, he knocked the door. And the guy gets up. Or actually, he didn't get up, did he? He said, coming in. Coming in. Guy couldn't get up. He walked in. He said, Carl, I, gotta, I don't know you. See, there's a barrier straight away. There's an obstacle, there's a mountain that you need faith to extinguish right there. But we've got everything we need. The moment you got born again, it was all planted inside you by the Spirit of God. You've got everything you need. You don't need to grow anymore. You don't need to wonder anymore. You've got it all planted inside of you. And when the moment comes where you need it, it will come and flourish and come through you in all of its abundance. Coming in. In he goes. He said, sir, I've got a hamper for you. And the guy begins to cry. He's got all the trappings of success. He's got all of the externals. He's, Carl says, what's the matter? The guy can't get off the, off the sofa. He's bedridden in the last stages of cancer. His wife has left him, is doing a number on him, and he's going to take the house, has taken the children, and shacking off somewhere else. And that is the destitute position that that man was in. That is the destitute position that Carl heard the cry for. And he responded to it. And he goes in. And he, and he kneels by him and he says, look what I've got for you. And every tin had a label on it. Jesus cares. Jesus cares. Jesus cares. I think the message was clear. God wanted to get to that man. And Carl was the man for it. He went in there. The man started to weep. And within four weeks, that man had left this earth and had gone to another place, his heavenly home, because that man had led him to Christ. I'm telling you now, people, that story can be replicated in its hundredfold right across this place. Right across this place. Because he's called every single one of us for the work of this ministry. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus thanks. For his word in the weeks to come, we're going to unpack this 
a little by little, and we're going to get through it. But right now, while eyes are closed, while heads are bowed in this place, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, oh, we've talked about him this morning, but do you know him? Do you know him? He really loves you. And you're not here this morning by accident. Maybe you've come and you think, whoa, what is this? What's going on here? And suddenly now, you know there's a peace in this place. And this peace is on you. I want to pray for you right now. I want you to have an opportunity just to pray a prayer. I'd love to pray with you so that you can invite Jesus into the center of your life. He's not going to make you some kind of crazy religious idiot. You're not going to become a nun or a monk or anything weird like that. He's just going to give you peace. He's going to give you a wash on the inside. It's fantastic. Your sin and all of that stuff be removed. He's not here to point the finger at you. Both arms are open toward you. Are you here this morning? Lift your hand up. I'll pray with you. Is there one person? One person will pray. That's right, my love. It takes courage. That's it, my love. Excellent. The whole, that's it, another one there. That's it, another one there. Well done, sir. That's it. The Bible says that all of heaven erupts in song when one person receives Christ. I'm going to pray right now. Yeah, there's another lady there. That's it, my love. That's it. And if you're a bit scared to lift your hand up, it's fine. Don't worry. He sees our hearts. I'm going to pray. Pray this prayer quietly in your heart right now. Just say, Jesus, will you come in to my life? I feel poor. I felt alone. I felt I need you inside. Please come in. I open my heart right now and ask you to come in. Thank you. I accept you. Jesus' name. Now from this day on, from this moment on, you're going to know a new peace. You're going to know just a closeness and a comfort that's unexplainable. But you'll be able to think about Jesus with you. Let's stand to our feet. We've finished today. But let's just lift our hands right now. We're going to sing.